Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon, here with my friend and Chavruta, Yordana Osband. Our daf of the day, Masachet Yevamot, daf bet. Page two, we are starting not only a new Masachet, but a new Seder. We are entering Seder Nashim, and we're going to have a little bit of um, introduction, both to Seder Nashim and to the Masachet and to the Perak, and then we will embark on the Mishnah today. Um, Yordana, you have any words of opening before we get to the full-on introduction? No, I, I, you know, I think this is just going to be a really different view Masefto than what we've been used to. Um, and it's going to introduce us to a whole new area of halakha, which is, you know, basically law around marriage and divorce. But, and you're going to explain a little bit more of that with your introduction. Okay, fine. So first we should recall, right, that there are six Sidre Mishnah, and we start with Zraim, that's the seeds, and the only the only Bavli that we have from that is Brachot, which we've all learned together. And then we have Moed, which is holidays and seasons and everything that we've just done. Nashim, which is where we're up to now, is officially the, the Masachet of women, and it is largely, largely Halacha that pertains to women in the context of society at large, including marriage, including divorce, including the status of a yavamot, a yavam, right, which is something that we're going to discuss, you know, <laughs> at great, in great detail, um, which is we will define some of these terms because they are not necessarily, you know, the same, I don't know what, breakfast, breakfast vocabulary that we might even know from Seder Moed. Um, and one of the things I want to mention now is in terms of introduction is the order of the Masechtot at least as according to the Rambam, who says, you know, why are these Masechtot in the order that they are in, in Seder Nashim? Why do we begin with Yevamot to begin with? Because you would think, perhaps, that we would begin with the next Masechah, which is Ketubot. Ketubot, which is dealing with the Ketubot, right? The marriage, it's not really the marriage contract, it's the terms by which a marriage, or the it's really a divorce contract, whatever. We'll talk about Ketubot when we get to it. But you might think that Ketubot, something that pertains to actual marriage and is a much more common situation, then Yevamot, meaning the status of a Yavam, when somebody needs Yibum, which we'll define momentarily, we would think that it is, um, you know, why would that be the opening? And the Rambam's theory is that we start with Yevamot because because Ketubot is optional. Marriage, at least officially, it's a mitzvah, but there's no requirement per se to get married in the same way that there is for somebody who is in a status of be needing yibum, which again I'll define in a moment. Um, that person it, like must do it. So then the must takes precedence according to the Rambam over the can, over the over the option of doing something. So what are these terms? So the basic case, and we have psukim that you know that we'll get to that discuss this um, verses from the Book of Deuteronomy. But a yib, a case of yibum is somebody who there's a marriage, the husband dies. And the couple has no children, and the husband has a brother. Now the brother is supposed to marry the widow, his brother's widow, right? For the sake of bearing children on the name of the brother who died. Um, and this is, as you can imagine, a complicated situation um, in many, many, many ways. And that's part of why we have Masachet Yevamot. So that's why the the situation for this happening is not that common because, first of all, many people who get married, first of all, if he doesn't have a brother, then there's nothing to talk about. If they have children, there's nothing to talk about, right? So there's there's a lot, you know, before he dies, I mean. 
And if a couple then gets divorced, right? Also, nothing to talk about. So that's the basic case of Yibum, which we'll read inside momentarily. I just want to name off some of the other Masechtot in, in Nashim. Um, from Ketubot, we go on to Nadarim and Nazir and Sota. These are less specifically about women and certainly less specifically about things like marriage and divorce, but they are in this category of, um, you know, long-term commitment through what people decide and what people say. Um, we'll obviously dive deep into these topics when we get there. And then we come to Gitin and Kiddushin, Gitin being Jewish divorce, and Kiddushin, which is the betrothal that we talk about, you know, for marriage. It's not quite marriage, but it's not, and it's stronger than the more loose uh, colloquial engagement of nowadays, but it is um, it is that more formal betrothal. And of course, the line, the question is always, why does Kiddushin come after Gitin? Meaning, why shouldn't divorce come after you talk about marriage? And the Gemara's line is, that we first provide the medicine, meaning the solution, to the potential problem that the that if you were to be married and need a get, then we're going to make sure that you know about the get before you ever even enter into the marriage. We're not going to talk nowadays now, meaning in in this moment about the potential challenges that happen sometimes when people want to get divorced. Um, okay, it's certainly a hot topic in other settings, and I'm sure we will discuss it when we get there. I want to just mention again these verses from Devarim that give us the case of a yib, of a of a requirement for yibum to begin with. Um, it's Devarim Kafei twenty five, chapter twenty five. So again, you have two two brothers, and one of them dies. Uven Einlo, and he has no child. We say that that widow should not go get married to uh, a stranger, meaning somebody who's not, you know, else, you know, outside of this uh, family. And here, so it's her Yavam. What's a Yavam? The Yavam is the brother of the dead brother, of the dead husband. There's no... They call this levirate marriage in English, but there's no real. I'm sure there's an English term for the yavam, but the but the term that we're going to be using throughout is yavam, right? It's a it's a to say it in English means to be technical about exactly who this is. Um, so in any case, the yavam will come and marry the widow. Um, and then the first child who would be born to this couple, meaning the brother, the de- the brother who's the live brother who's marrying the widow, um, the first child will bear the name of the dead brother. And so his name is not cut off from Israel. And then it goes on to describe the process. I'm not going to read these verses inside right now, but it goes on to say, well, what happens, you know, what happens if for some reason it's not going to work? What happens if the wife, if the widow doesn't want to marry this guy, the brother, right? What are you supposed to do? And there's a process called chalitza. And again, chalitza is, uh, it's kind of an intranslatable term. It's the pushing away, right? It's to where the woman basically sends the person who's supposed to marry her away. And there's a long formal, I don't know if it's long, there's a formal process uh, by which this is done called chalitza. And there's a special chalitza shoe. And it basically is up to the woman to decide, no, we're not going to do that, except for the fact that in this day and age, meaning nowadays, we no longer do yibum at all. At least I don't know of any cases where we do yibum, and the standard line is certainly that we don't do yibum anymore. And in any case that would require yibum, 
What we do instead is chalitza. Um, and we will see throughout the Gemara that there's a status of when there's a question whether yibum is applicable or not, you might have chalitza as a, as a, um, to cover all your bases, meaning where you don't want to fall into the case of yibum. Again, you don't get married. You wouldn't marry the brother um, as a, as a just in case kind of thing, because there's a really important caveat here, which is that uh, it is a prohibited relationship, right? The wife of uh, the ones, let's see, how do we say this? Oh, a man who has a brother, that brother cannot marry his wife. I haven't said this well at all. A, a woman marries a man who has a brother and under like, let's say, let's say he, they have children and he dies. She cannot then go and marry the brother. It's considered uh, an Arayot relationship. It's considered one of the illicit sexual relationships that's listed in Vayikra in the book of Leviticus and it's prohibited. So the whole thing of Yibum is this kind of like, it's a very strange setup designed to perpetuate the name of the brother who died in what would otherwise be a prohibited relationship, um, but then becomes a required relationship, uh, which is certainly interesting. Um, okay, I want to go through, if I've forgotten anything you're in, I know you'll fill in, but I want to just get us some terms, right? So that we have yibum and we have chalitza, and so therefore there's also like the verbs that go along with that and the nouns that go along with that, the yavam, the cholets, and so on. We also have opening, when we come to the Masachet, and we open with the first Mishnah, and Yordana, you're going to take us through the first Mishnah, we have a category that we have not discussed at all yet, really, which is Sarot. Sarot, it literally means narrow, perhaps, and it's punned to mean trouble, but what it really means in this case is what I would call co-wives, right? In an era of polygamy, which we don't have nowadays either, or rarely, Right, um, you could have a man who has two wives, and then those two wives, um, it, by virtue of them being co-wives, their relationships—the relationships that are prohibited to the one—come to be prohibited to the other. So that, um, so your daddy, you'll you'll flesh this out if I've said this poorly. But I let's say that all of those prohibited relationships in Vayikra, right? Like you can't marry your husband's brother, right? If you have a co-wife who has a brother, then that the very fact that she is your co-wife makes that brother then prohibited for you as well. Is that is that fair characterization? Yeah, I think that's a fair way to say it. And we'll, we'll get a little bit more into some of this with the Mishnah too. Yeah. So uh, the fact is what I want to, and, and then the other thing I want to say is just about learning Yavamot in general in terms of, you know, words of introduction, which is that charts are going to be your friend. Um, I have been paying attention for the past however many days to some of the really complicated cases that happen in the news, in songs, in literature, right? Where, you know, there's a song about I am my own grandfather, which I'm sure we'll put in the, you know, the, my, my own grandpa, not grandpa. My own grandpa, sorry. Sorry, it uh -huh. rhymes better. <laughs> it rhymes. The Muppets did it. Willie Nelson did it. There's a whole, a number of people have, have put this song together. And one of them shows a chart, right? We're, we haven't delved in at all yet. So the fact that I'm saying that charts will be our friends is kind of meaningless. But I think, Yordana, as soon as you hit the Mishnah, I think everybody's going to understand why we might want a chart. Because A, we have a lot of lists. And B, then we have all the people who can marry each other, must marry each other, may not marry each other, etc. So 
we say this as, you know, when we when we came to Erevin, we said, you know, you might want diagrams to be able to figure out the the spatial dynamics of some of the cases that we were coming to describe. In this case, what you really want is like family trees, like, you know, the triangles for women and the squares for men and equals for married or whatever, How, however you want to do it. There's no, you know, I don't think there's any rules in, as far as that goes, but it will certainly aid and abet our understanding of how people are both connected and when they are prohibited from each other. So I think that with that, we will just get to um, the first uh, Mishnah. But I, you know, one of the things to pay attention to in this particular Masachat, and it will really be true for all the Masachot in Nashim, is there's really going to be a lot of new terminology and halachic terminology. Um, and so that's something to really start to pay attention to. So this first Mishnah is actually a rather long Mishnah, and it's a very complicated Mishnah. And it's interesting that sort of the Masachat starts with this. So again, knowing the background that if a man were to die childless um, and his widow basically is sort of not allowed to marry uh, right away any man in the general population, but would uh, have to marry the brother of her, uh, of her husband. Um, and that's, you know, what the concept of Yibum is. And then Chalitza would be where she sort of gets released. Um, and again, the idea is, is that ordinarily, right, the woman would really be uh, forbidden to him. She would not be allowed to marry her husband's brother. Um, but here there's sort of, you know, and that's basically listed in Vayikra. I believe it's in chapter 18, where they list all the Oriah, what we call the forbidden relationships. But what Ibum does is it basically makes an exception um, and allows a what's normally a prohibited uh, relationship to um, to take place. Um, but, um, uh, you know, so, so that's basically uh, what happens here. However, uh, let's the only prohibition that's allowed to sort of not take place or that basically, uh, you know, is allowed with the presses of Yibum is the prohibition of your brother's wife. But let's say within some family, there are other erva prohibitions that would remain in effect even when Yibum is there. OK, so, for example, let's say the widow, right, the Yavama, as we would call her, is related in a certain way to the surviving brother, the Yavam, um, and would be forbidden to that brother through an erba relationship, okay? Like, let's say, uh, you know, then then no yibun would basically be possible um, since it's that erba prohibition is not going to be allowed. So that's really one of the things to keep in mind here is that yibum essentially allows a normally prohibited relationship. However, if there's an additional erva relationship within that relationship, yibum is not going to override it. The only relationship that it can override is the relationship of uh, is the relationship of brother's wife. Then the other thing to keep in mind is that let's say the man who passed away, the deceased had several laws, which we know polygamy was allowed according to biblical law, right? And let's say, and that's called a sarah. Now we could go a lot into why is it called a sarah, right? Like saras, right? Like something bad. Uh, and there's a reason for that. And, you know, that I think it, it's indicating uh, how complicated those relationships could be of multiple wives. But let's say in this case, that uh, a woman, a, a man passes away, right? He had two wives. 
one of the wives would be eligible to marry the brother, but her her Sarah, her co-wife, right, actually has an Arab relationship with the brother, and therefore the first wife is does not have to do yibum. In other words, if one of the co-wives has this Arab relationship with the brother, then everybody is basically uh, is is doesn't have to do yibum or even chalitza. There's no requirement for that at all. So that's essentially what this Mishnah is going to talk about. It's the relationship of what happens if the tsara has an Arab relationship with the brother who's supposed to be doing yibum. And so essentially, so 15 women exempt their co-wives. In other words, there are 15 possible arayas, okay? Women who would be forbidden basically to the brother through a variety of different relationships. And therefore, they basically make pator, they make the other co-wife who could have potentially married that brother because they do not have an Arab relationship, but they make it that nobody has to do yibum or chalitza. So it's sort of like Arab by association because there was one possible coupling there that could be Arab, then even though there's a possible coupling that there's no Arab for, other than the Arab of, you know, a brother's wife, which Yibum basically does away from, uh, we basically say that even the co-wife is not obligated in Yibum or even Chalitza. And so it's not just their co-wives, it's also Vitzarot Sarotehem and the co-wives of their co-wives would also be, so this would be, this kind of example would be that let's say the deceased was survived by more than one brother, right? And the widow was an erba to only one of the brothers, okay? Um, uh, you know, like that would sort of be what the situation would, would be here. And the deceased had another wife. Um, so he basically leaves two erba, two, two widows. One is an erba to the brother. One is a tsara, okay? The Arab and the tsara, they're basically exempt from having to do yibum to the one brother, but they still would maybe have to do yibum to the other brothers. Okay, but one of these brothers, so one of these brothers goes and performs yibum with the. See, you want uh, a yes. chart. You need you a, want chart. a chart. <laughs> I'm saying this verbally, but you need a chart. So one of these brothers, in other words, the the third brother, the deceased, the first brother who's an Arab. Then we have a third brother here. So the, one of these brothers goes and he does yibum with the erva sarat. In other words, not the initial widow who was an erva to the second brother, but rather with the with the sarat. Okay, now that sarat right becomes the the yavam's full fledged wife. Okay, if this brother who performed yibum also has another wife. Okay, now that wife becomes the sarat of the sarat. Okay, and then. Uh, right? So that's like a co-wife of the co-wife of the original Erba wife, okay? And then let's say this brother dies childless, okay? So now he has two wives who also now could do Yibum, okay? But essentially, because they're all related to the initial widow who was an Erba, right? They're basically all going to be Pator from doing Yibum with that initial second brother. This was incredibly confusing what I just said. And therefore, really the way to learn Masachet Yavamos, and I think this is going to be one of the challenges for me and Anne is, is that this actually, uh, you know, I've been thinking about this. I'm, I, I'm worried that this Masachet does not per se lend itself to a podcast in the sense of 
that it's all auditory. And there is a visual piece to learning Masachet Yevamot. And so therefore, I would really encourage everybody to use that, use charts, use commentary. I mean, again, we're going to try to do what we always do, which is sort of to pull out nuggets that we think are worth discussing. But I think just keep that in mind, because what I said would be much easier if I had a visual chart for you. I really need to. I think what we're going to try to do going forward, especially as the relationships get more and more complicated, is and I'm pulling this off of a uh, I don't know, a children's song, a funny song about exactly what happens when you try to come to learn Yavamot is um, to, we're going to just use the letters of the alphabet, right? Meaning in other examples, we might talk about people with names, Ruvain and Shimon and one, one, I don't know, you have a car accident and Ruvain is making a claim from Shimon. We're not going to do that. It's too many people. But I think if we say man A, man B, co-wife A, co-wife B, I think eventually we'll be able to make sense of this, but I still think that the writing down of, you know, how the pairs line up is going to be very helpful for both for us in preparation and also for you co-learners in listening and, and in preparing the DAF as well. Um, I, I think there's no no way out of Yavamo without charts. Right. Even if you look on like, you know, someone I, someone I know said, Recently, you know, like a few days ago in preparation, what can I do to prepare for Yavamot? And immediately everybody responded, charts, you need charts, tables, charts, visual aids, you know. You need Um, visual aids. So the one one other thing I just wanted to add, which I think I neglected at the beginning and it'll come up, but we want to put it in our introduction as well, is that the way a woman would get out of needing yibum there's there's a few ways right one is either she does evil yibum one is that she does chalitza the other is that if the yavam were to die then she is now free and clear anyway again it will depend on how many brothers there are but in a simple simple case of a man with one brother if the yavam dies the the wife can now go marry anybody else she's right. no and- longer what's called zakuk liyibum she's no longer needing yibum Right. So, so, yeah, that's a that's an important point to mention. So let's go through this Mishnah. So basically, right, Hamesha Sarin Nashim Potsarotam. So there are 15 women who exempt their co-wives, the Tsarotsaratam, and even the co-wives of their co-wives, Mina Khalitsa Mina Yibum. From the requirement basically of Khalitsa and Yibum, please pay attention to the fact that they list Khalitsa here before they list Yibum. Um, the Gemara will discuss that, but it's an interesting question about the construction of the Mishnah itself. Ad so forever. So in other words, those relationships are always going to be uh, forbidden. In other words, once you have this exemption, even of the tsara, you know, tsarot tsaroteham, right? And any, it, it, and any subsequent or additional tsarot, any additional, you know, co-wives that come up, uh, they're always going to be forbidden. And now they're going to last, you know, name the, these 15 relationships. We're not going to go through each one in super detail. Again, you should chart these out because the Gemara is also going to spend time going through them. What are they? Bito, the Yavam's daughter, right? Ubat Bito, right? So in other words, if any one of those, uh, if, if, the, uh, if, the, uh, if the woman who needs to do Yibun or uh, her co-wife, is the Avam's daughter, right? They're both disqualified. Basically, Yibum and Chalitza don't have to happen. Ubat Bito, his daughter's daughter. Ubat Bino, and his son's daughter. Bat Ishto, the Avam's wife's daughter. Okay, Ubat Bana, her son's daughter. Ubat Bita, or her daughter's daughter. Chamoto, the Yavam's mother-in-law. His mother-in-law's mother. The Aim Chamav, and his father-in-law's mother. 
Akotome Mo, the Yabam's maternal sister. Um, uh, maternal sister, Vachot Imo, his mother's sister, Vachot Ishto, his wife's sister, Vachet Achiv Meimo, his maternal brother's wife, Vachet Achiv Shalohayab Omo, the wife of his non contemporary brother. So this would be a brother who died before the Abam was even born. So that's why he's referred to as an Achiv Shalohayab Olamo meaning the, these brothers were never alive at the same time, the Kaloto and his daughter-in-law, okay? So these are basically 15 Erevo relationships. In other words, if you open up chapter 18 of Vayikra, this is basically a list of many of the forbidden relationships. And so the idea is, is that if anybody in the circle, either the woman to who, who is going to do Yibam or her co-wife or her co-wife's co-wife, right, is any of these forbidden relations to the Avam, Yibum and Chalitza basically don't apply anymore. So again, the Mishnah sort of just reiterates that point. And then the Mishnah wants to add an additional piece to this. However, if any of these 15 women, right, uh, who had basically been married to the Abam's brother, right? To the, to the you know, let's say person A, the person who died, and they died before he died. Oh, may, oh, oh, may I know. Or they, uh, or they refused him. So that would be a situation where basically, uh, you know, this is, mi'un is the idea of a wife's refusal of her husband. So this was basically done that if there was a way to, uh, if there was a minor girl, right? Who's, uh, you know, who's basically these were economic situations. Maybe her father died and her, you know, and another member of her family basically sort of like marries her off. Okay. Um, and uh, let's say she really doesn't want to get married. It, it, it's look in Devarim chapter 22 to explain how actually this works. But the idea is essentially if she doesn't consent to the marriage. Okay. So she never, you know, so if she didn't consent to the marriage deceased, O-Nikrashu, or they got divorced, you know, um, and that was before he died, Al-Yonit, or they were found to be in the category of Al-Yonit. Okay, so what is an Al-Yonit? So an Al-Yonit is an adult woman who basically... Wait, don't hate me. Don't hate yeah. me. Yeah. Al-Yonit. Oh, sorry. Okay, Al-Yonit. Yeah, the prince is small. Totally go ahead and correct me. Um, so that's basically an adult woman who never developed uh, signs of female puberty and may actually have some certain male characteristics. So it comes from the word ayal, like a male ram. Um, and so the idea is that she wouldn't be capable of bearing children. Um, and therefore, if she's found to have this status, right, the marriage is basically annulled because obviously the husband wouldn't be able to do pruravu with her, right? She would not be able to have children with her. So the marriage would be annulled. So in these cases, sarot, sarote and mutarot, their co-wives are actually permitted. So the idea is essentially that if the erva relationship that would not allow yibum to be done in these situations, any of these 15 relationships that we described, if that woman, sort of that marriage under a variety of these circumstances, divorce, refusal to get married, death, Right. Having, you know, this this uh, status of this woman who may be presumed 
presumably could not bear children. If that sort of relationship with the eventually deceased brother was terminated before his death, then we don't count that erba against uh, the potential for yibum there. But you cannot say of one's mother-in-law or mother-in-law's mother or father-in-law's mother that they were found to be in this category of, um, uh, um, am I saying this correct again? Alionit. 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 Sorry, Alionit, right from Ayal. Sorry, Alionit. Or that they refused their husband because those are obviously impossible scenarios because to be a mother-in-law means you obviously had to have had a child or you didn't refuse your husband. So they're just making a technical point there, right? Kate said portray and Saratan. So how do these 15 Oriot exempt their co-wives from Chalitza and Yibam? So if a man's daughter or any one of these Oriot was married to his brother, the low Isha Acheret, and that brother also had another wife, Umate, and the brother basically dies childless, right? So the Aban's daughter and his co-wife and her co-wife, excuse me, now fall into the category of needing to do Yibum. Just like the Yibum's wife is obviously going to be exempt from doing Chalitza and Yibum, because that's an Arab relationship that even Chalitza does not suspend. So also the co-wife would be suspended as well. So in other words, another way to put this case would be is that the man, you know, a woman marries her uncle, basically, right? And her husband dies, right? She's not, she can't marry her father in Gibum. And if she has a co-wife, that co-wife also is not going to marry her father because of that Arab relationship between the father and the daughter. And so therefore it says, and also the co-wife is going to be exempt. And then it goes on to say, again, this is a very long Mishnah, Right? So now it's going to explain how the co-wife's co-wife is also exempt. So if his daughter's co-wife went and married, let's say, a second brother, okay? Um, and so here, what's, uh, you know, married a, a, a second brother, um, the low east, in other words, a second brother who didn't have an Arab relationship with this daughter, obviously, right? This is another uncle of the daughter. But for whatever reason, this brother, right, this is a third brother, did Yibum with the, with the Tzarah from the first case. And that brother also, so this third brother has another wife, Umate. And then this, this second brother dies childless. So now the daughter's co-wife and her co-wife, they need to do Yibum again. This, this Sarah, this initial co-wife needs to do Yibum for a second time. And then her co-wife also needs to do Yibum. But it's going to go back to that original brother who is the father of the daughter of the, uh, uh, who's the father, sorry, whose daughter married the second brother. Just as his daughter's co-wife is exempt from Chalitza and Yibum, right? Like that Sarah is always going to be exempt from Yibum with that, uh, with that, with the first brother that we mentioned. So also her co-wife is also going to be exempt. And this could go even if there's a hundred brothers. It would just sort of keep going on and on and on. Now the mission is going to discuss the rule uh, that if an Erba's marriage was basically terminated before the husband's death, then the co-wife is subject to Yibum. How is it that if any of these 15 Oraya died before the husband, 
or again, or divorced him or refused to marry him or, you know, was found in this category of a woman who maybe of a ideal needs. I still didn't say that correctly, right? That their co-wives are actually going to be permitted. If a man's daughter, any of these other Arayot was married to his brother, below Isha and that brother also had another wife, and his daughter died or they got divorced. And then his brother died. The co-wife is actually permitted to the daughter's father. And then finally, the concluding rule here, and concerning any of these 15 Arayas who were able to refuse uh, the deceased brother, but basically did not do so, her co-wife meets Chalitza, but cannot be taken for Yibam. Okay, so this is a whole other uh, thing here. In other words, let's say any of these 15 Arias were basically an orphan minor, right, at the time of her husband's death. Um, and so basically, she could have actually had her marriage annulled, right, um, because she was still married. She technically wasn't married yet, and she didn't get to the age yet where she actually could have refused marriage. So she never got to the point where she could have done this process of refusal, but she still becomes a Yavama because her husband, her potential husband, never had children. And there was an agreement there. They were sort of married. So in that case, the Tsarata, the co-wife, actually does Chalitza, um, but but w- would not actually have to do Yivam. Uh, very, very long Mishnah, very confusing Mishnah. This is probably one of our longer episodes. Um, you know, look, I understand that I think for the modern sort of uh, learner, these relationships seem very uh, unusual. I think one thing to keep in context, though, is, you know, it wasn't totally unusual that families would sort of marry uh, within themselves, obviously not violating any of the Erva relationships. But, you know, people did marry their uncles, um, people married cousins, people married relatives. So I think that's one thing to keep in mind. This is not necessarily how we function today. Marriage is very different today. Um, but the truth is, like, I, I, I'm pretty sure, like, my great-grandparents were first cousins. I mean, up until the modern world, some of these things did actually happen. So it feels very claustrophobic and I think a little bit weird to read. Some of the cases I do think here are sort of boundary-pushing. But I think do keep in mind that I think people did sort of sometimes marry within a family as long as it didn't violate one of the Orias. Yeah, I mean, there's all kinds of, let's say, genetically ill-advised relationships that were still halachically permitted. And then when you think about, you know, people living in small towns, which maybe was a later era, but still, you know, you end up with, you know, what's the pool of marital marriage? people to marry exactly you know i i get it um i actually have a cousin a second cousin who married her i think first cousin once removed on the other side um but but also we live in an era where you can do genetic testing and things like that and make sure that things are okay so i you know it, it's a little bit difficult to think about these some of these relationships i think but on the other hand i think you're right your data that their norms were not our norms to begin with. So it probably was less strained for them. Um, I still think they use charts. They didn't put charts in the Gemara per se, but I think that they definitely had their scratch paper in the sand or whatever to make sense of these dynamics. They had to, because there's no other way to learn this. So onwards with our study of Masachat Yavamot. 
Uh, and uh, we're really looking forward to, uh, you know, um, getting really into the thick of it, which I think we already did on this first app. <laughs> I'm really looking forward. I, I, it's a totally different system way of thinking, so to speak, in, as compared to what we've been doing. And, you know, it's got its own challenge in that. Well, that's our DAP discussion for the day. Rank us reviews on all major podcasts. Thank you to Revenue Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hodger website. Let us know what you thought about this DAP on our Talking Down with Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.